All right, we are live, episode 20 of the Lucas Grand Sire Podcast. I've said it 20 times, so i got to say uh, another time here, most creative name in the business. I'm very excited to hear about my guest today, Sean Madden. Love talking to the coaches, especially someone so close to the fight. What's going on, sir? How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting. Of course. Uh, how's the quarantine process going for you? You're, you're not in Fight yeah. Island, so I assume it's it's a little bit different, right? You don't have quite the heat, but still Vegas, yeah. it seems like uh, at the end of the day, a hotel room is a hotel room. That's exactly it, man. You know, it's it's funny when, when we, we go on these trips, you know, and I, I've been all over the world with the UFC, but people think you go to these crazy locations, but man, it's just a hotel room at the end, of, especially in quarantine, you know? So um, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of looking out windows <laughs> to the outside more than anything. But, yeah, this is my second week in a row out here. Uh, I had Mallory Martin last week. I have Shauna Dobson this week. And, and uh, so, uh, yeah, back-to-back weeks out here. We, we call this hotel the Quarantine Inn. We get a lot of time in this place. So, uh, how, how many COVID tests have you done now? If it's been two weeks, I assume you have tons of them last week. You got tons mm-hmm. of them this week. At this point, you must become the expert. Like, you take the swab and you do it yourself at this point. <laughs> yeah, so, we, so normally for these fight weeks – they, they send us one. We have to do a mail-in one before we come out, which is smart, you know, um, and then you do two when you're here. One right when you get here, and then the second one is um, after weigh-ins, before fight day. So it's usually about three per event. Um, I took my 27th COVID test this morning. Um, so waiting on results tomorrow. I haven't had COVID yet, so knock on wood, you know, uh, I'm still – ducking and dodging i'm trying to get to uh habib's record here uh you know so we're close (laughs) there we go has it gotten annoying yet or have you gotten to the point where it's just like you know what i'm just doing it and at the same time must be kind of a relief too to know like in real time whether you're managing to avoid it or not it's nice you know yeah you're exactly right you know like we're not having to pay for these tests and um you know so and it's given me real-time results so i do appreciate that fact you know at this point almost 30 tests in it's it's just part of the business now you know what i'm saying so we go down there it's quick the ufc has a really great setup you know they've done a fantastic job with this you know despite i know people always have their opinions on on what the ufc is doing but in terms of covid testing protocol i think they've done a really great job and and i've you know i've been out here i think my first one was like june of last year or uh no sorry july so i've watched their covid testing protocol evolve over the last six month and it's gotten there every single time i've been out here so so props to them for doing that i have to say i'm a little bit disappointed they changed the test a little bit because it was kind of fun watching these you know big strong fighters like punch people in the face you know squirm and have to hold nurses hands and stuff like and get real scared when you see the, the thing go into their brains and now we don't hear about it anymore that was a fun i enjoyed asking fighters about it and some of them gave me cool answers and some of them were like yeah i was i was crying doing that test yeah so they they switched it actually you know, they were, they started by doing the nose tests, you know, and then basically what they found out was that, you know, the majority of people that the fighters that they're testing have broken their nose before or have a broken nose and, yeah. and they have to like, they have to redo it or they have to go to the other nasal. It just doesn't work out. So out here, at least they're all oral tests, which makes it a little bit easier. It's still not super comfortable, but in my opinion, I've done both. I would rather have the oral than the nasal for sure. The nasal one's rough. Oh, yeah. I did that one once before going back to the United States. And there's this old lady that comes out from doing the test and she's like, oh, it was no big deal. It was like a tickle. So, you know, you see this old lady, and you're like, hold on. I'm, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big, strong guy. Like if she can, yeah. she can do it, she looks pretty frail. Man, I, I'm not going to lie to you. That that hurt. Like it felt like yeah. the, 
the swab goes in, it feels like it's, you know, parting your nostrils. And it's like, and you know, you feel like they're going around and they're just playing around. Then they did the second right. one too. And I was oh. like, oh, stop. And you know, I was, I think I had tears come out and everything. You start playing yeah. around the nose a little bit. It's rough, it's, man. It's oh. rough. They, they get all the way up in there with that thing. So. That's the thing. People are like, it feels like it's tickling your brain. And you're like, nah, come on. But then when you see this huge thing go all the way down like that, and it's like, oh man, it's, you know, I even put it on Facebook. I was like, I did it, but it hurt. Like I'm yeah. man enough to say like that thing surprised me. It hurt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They'll get you with it. But so uh, what are you doing as a coach to kind of avoid catching COVID? Cause for you, like you, you have to be extra, you won't be able to coach. You might get a fighter forced to pull out of his fight. Like you have extra, you know, and even some people, whether they believe in it or not, or anti yeah. whatever, like you do have a, like a real thing where you have to be careful because you could, you know, cost these people, I don't want to say the livelihood, but, you know, kind of mess with what, what everybody's doing a little bit if you're not careful. It definitely is. You know, you're exactly right about that, man. You know, and, and that's something that we have to keep in mind. You know, we have a big team. Um, you know, anytime we have a big group of people, there's there's um, a diverse set of opinions, right? Like, yes, some people are going to believe that it's a serious thing. Some people are going to believe it's a hoax or whatever, right? Our job is not to dig into politics with our athletes, right? Our job is to prepare them for fights. So at the end of the day, you're just like you said, look, whether you guys believe in it or not, this can affect people's paychecks, right? And we saw that happen last year. You know, um, Drew Dober's fight with Diego got canceled in November. Curtis's fight got canceled and postponed till this, you know, and um, man, you know, if you talk about both of those guys winning their fights and possibly getting a fight night bonus, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars right there, right? Um, now, yes, the fights do get remade. Curtis is fighting this weekend, but that's never a guarantee either. Right. You know, um, until that fight actually happens, you never know. Right. So our job is to make sure that they make it to their fights, whether you believe in COVID or don't believe in COVID, that's, that's a relevant issue. We want to make sure our guys stay safe and make it to the fights and they get paid, you know? So, you know, just like you said, my job as a coach, I'm, I'm interacting with these athletes on a daily basis. You know, but really outside of that, I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm I'm either at the gym or I'm at my house and that's about it. You know, um, I'll go to the grocery store, you know, in kind of odd hours um, to get my stuff once a week. You know, so I make, you know, and, you know, look, I, I, I think that's probably the right thing to do anyways. So I make my sacrifices with that. But my, my goal is all focused around the athletes and making sure that they get paid and they make it to their fights. So I'm, I'm totally fine making those sacrifices for them uh, to make sure we get where we need to go. I mean, that's got to be tough for, for a coach, too, because nobody kind of sat you guys down and tell you, like, how important it would be for you guys to keep yourself safe. At the end of the day, everybody was talking about the fighters, the fighters. But you guys are in contact with them every day. And even we saw Jeff Neal wasn't able to have his coach in the corner. And, you know, he mentioned how much it affected him. So it, it's crazy just you know, you guys do have like a, a lot of, a lot of factors in there with something like this. It's big, man. You're exactly right. You know, and, and you would want to believe that, you know, your fighters in such a mentally strong place when they get ready to fight that if anything happens, it's not going to affect them. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, you've trained with this person, you've trained this athlete for eight, 10, however many weeks. Right. And then for you to miss fight week, all of a sudden, that takes a big psychological impact on that athlete, you know, whether they want to admit it or not. So, we, yeah, we do our best to avoid that situation. Um, it's just not something we want to find ourselves in, even though it's a reality right now. So we're doing the best that we can. So one thing I want to get your take on, we saw Cub Swanson put out a tweet saying he felt like all the media should take at least three amateur fights, stuff like that. I didn't realize he was going to start the forest fire that he did of all the media <laughs> taking offense. Some guys are trying to fight each other and stuff like that. 
for you as a coach, I mean, you do a little bit with the media, the athletes and stuff like that. What, what's your take on that? You think that's the right move? Is there like an in-between? What was kind of, what did you think when you first saw that tweet? Yeah. Uh, you know, look, man, <laughs> it, you know, at the end of the day, man, there, there are coaches in this sport that have not competed. There's coaches, you know, I can name a couple of them that, that never fought before or fought very little, you know, and are very successful. Frost Zahabi is a great example. He has, he had five amateur kickboxing fights. He never fought MMA, right? He's a very high level black belt too, but he had five amateur fights and, and he, he went on to produce world champions, you know? So there's always people that you can point to, you know, do I think that it would help them have a better understanding of things that go around the sport? 100%, right? If, if every media member had to go through a weight cut, they had to go through the training, they had to go through the actual fight itself, whether they won or lost, it doesn't matter. Would they have a better understanding and appreciation for the sport? 100%. I don't think that's their job though. At the end of the day, you know, there's a lot, there's plenty of people who make strong um, analysis uh, of the athletes and about the sport that I don't think they need that experience necessarily. You know, if guys volunteered to go take fights, you know, to get a better understanding, I would support that 100%, but I don't think it's a requirement, you know. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I see where he's coming from. You know, I definitely see that side. I've competed myself. I fought plenty of times. Um, I, I see that side of things, but I have also seen a number of people who can be successful closer to the sport than, than the media themselves that haven't competed, you know. So I see both sides of it. I'm going to lean towards – the other side of it from Cub, I don't think it's required. I think it would be helpful. I would support people who did it. I don't think it's necessary. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, first, I understood where his tweet was coming from because fighters always feel like they get the unfair criticism, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, they get knocked out or something, and these guys have never gotten off the couch and thrown a punch or, you know, after them and stuff like that. I, I feel like it's extreme, though. Like, three amateur fights, like, mo most, of these, most of the media members, you know, like, fight fighting's not for us. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason. We cover it, and we're not out there trying our hand at at fighting and stuff like that. I feel like though it depends on the role. Like if you're an analyst, like someone like Luke Thomas had reached the point where you un he has an understanding of the fight game that, you know, whether he fights or not, like you feel like he, he kind of has it. And there, Dan Tom as well. There's a few guys who they have that understanding. But certain analysts, I feel like it would benefit them to fight and not so much to see what it feels like to get punched in the face, but to understand, you know, term terms like angles and stuff like that because they used them because they went out there and kind of figured it out. So I think in that sense, it could be helpful. But you know, it's not for everybody. Like you imagine someone like Ariel Hawani, right? Getting into a fight. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody, nobody imagines Robbie Barstool, right? These guys, yeah. like these guys aren't fighters. That's why they're covering the fight. So right. I put it on Twitter, but I was like, I feel like a lot of people would get hurt trying to get those three amateur fights I, in. I agree. And you know what? At the end of the day, I think it would be helpful if all of them trained to some extent, right? right. Because point, there's still a lot that you can learn about the sport. You can spar, you can roll live in jujitsu. You'll, you'll still feel some of that stuff without having to have the pressure of competition where you'll still get a better understanding of the sport and a better appreciation of the sport and what the fighters go through. So fighting, I don't think it's required. I think, I think it would be worth their time to train a little bit in one of the disciplines because, look, at the end of the day, it benefits them anyways, right? It's going to help their, their, their overall lifestyle anyways, and they'll have a better appreciation for the sport. So required? No. Would it help them? 100%. Good point. The, the training is a good point. I think I feel like you don't necessarily need to compete to understand, right? Like just doing a little bit of boxing, jujitsu, whatever it is, Muay, Muay Thai, you know, like yep. you get that understanding. And maybe by training, when you're watching this fight, you understand more. 
But, you know, for certain, like, say, say me, for example, I interview a lot of fighters, like, would taking those three amateur fights, would it change what I'm saying during the interviews and stuff? Maybe a little bit, maybe some questions get specific. But if you think about it, I don't know that it would do a whole lot extra just because I competed in three amateur fights. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But uh, I saw Matt Brown was like, you know, uh, they'll find out what it's like to get punched in the face and they'll realize it's not so bad. I have gotten punched in the face and I had so much adrenaline, I felt nothing. <laughs> yeah. A couple a couple hours later, I feel like I got hit by a train. But, you know, I ate some shots. I didn't, you know, no, I didn't even know about half of them. Just I didn't feel nothing. Yeah, look, adrenaline is a hell of a drug, man. You know, <laughs> that'll it'll get you through some crazy stuff, you know. And uh, it's part of the reason why you see guys take shots and fight sometimes and wear them so well, you know. But um, that's, that's kind of part of it, too, though, where, yes, in a fight, you would have the adrenaline. But in sparring in the gym you may not have that every single time and you'll feel those shots. You know, of course you're wearing the, you're wearing bigger gloves and you're wearing shin guards, but you'll still feel the weight of those strikes, you know, and you go, man, this is, this is something serious. You know, it'll give you a better appreciation. The adrenaline definitely carries you through a lot of stuff, you know, and it can, it can mask the pain. Um, but sometimes in the gym, you don't have the luxury of having the adrenaline and you'll get a little bit more realistic feel of it too. So yeah, I think benefit on both sides of that. And so let me mention this too. Like, I feel like the fighters are like, oh, the media criticizes. I feel like a lot of guys mistake like random fan on Twitter for, for media as well. Yeah. Like any idiot gives their opinion. And it's like, you know, who do you cover MMA for? Nobody. He's sitting there drinking beer and watching the fights like a regular guy. Like that's, that's not media. Like maybe it'll benefit him, but you know, I don't feel like, I feel like the media is critical. And sometimes you do look at it like maybe it's a little bit too much, but I'm not sure they're as critical as the fighters think they are, but I'd be curious to get your take on it because you are kind of stepping away from it a little bit in the fact that you're not, you know, media or a fighter in, the, in this kind of situation. Yeah, look, I, I I get that side of it for sure. You know, like I know the amount that goes into preparing for a fight. I fought myself, like I said, you know, I had about 20 fights or so, you know, and, and when you lose or you don't perform how you feel, you know, is best, it, it really hurts, you know, and then and then someone else, you know, whether they say something nice or not that nice, but they pile on top of it, it, it definitely sucks and you're sensitive to that. So I do understand that. On the other side of it, it's it's part of what we signed up for, right? When when you compete in these sports, you know, fighting to me is is one of the most vulnerable things that you can do, right? Because you get out. I was talking about this um, with Mallory Martin, who just fought this past weekend, right? She lost pretty quick to Pollyanna. She made a small mistake. Pollyanna capitalized on it. There's no other sport where you train for that long, right? And the fight can be over instantly. You look at football, you look at basketball, you look at soccer. There's half times, there's timeouts, right? If you're if you're fucking something up in a basketball game, you know, you still have 3 quarters after that or you can call a timeout and say, "Hey, let's get let's figure this out," right? Man, even in golf. Golf over 18 holes takes like 4 hours to play. You hit a bad shot, you still have time to walk up and find your ball and and, and try to get yourself back together, right? Fighting's not like that. There's no timeout in fighting, right? And and that fight can be over in 10 seconds. You can train for three months of your life and that thing is done and that's all you can do, you know? So it's a, it's a very intense feeling when that happens, um, you know? And and uh, it's, it's very hard for other sports and athletes to relate to that feeling. So I understand why fighters are so sensitive to that when, when people talk about their losses because of what they put into the training. Um, but like I said before, on the other side of it, you know, when you sign up to be a fighter and it's not an easy life, but part of it comes with the criticism, not only from fans, you know, but also from from the media. It's just part of it. You know, it's it's your guys's job um, to, to write these stories and analyze the fighters. 
you know, and it's, it's the athlete's job to, to do their best in performance. So it's part of it, man. You know, it's, it's just about keeping it in perspective and, and, and not getting too um, strung up over something you have no control over. You know, I can't control, you can't control what these guys are going to write. So you just have to focus on yourself. So let me put this out there too. Like if you say like all the media were required to take three amateur fights, imagine someone goes out there, gets knocked the fuck out in the first round, all three fights. Who's going to take that person seriously again? Every time you try to right. say anything critical, there's going to be a gif of you, you know, flatlined on the floor with your yeah. butt in the air because, you know, people are like, yeah, but aren't you the same guy that got knocked out? So it's it's just crazy how little things like that, like say you win, obviously it looks great. And then you sort of get in that fighter situation. You lose, everybody turns against you. You win. Oh, well, this guy can whoop some ass. Like it's, it's pretty crazy just how, how quickly, you know, there, there's always going to be a little something there. It's a great point. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, and that's why I think, you know, like, look, like, you know, if you guys wanted to be fighters, you would have signed up to be fighters from the beginning, right? If you wanted to be an analyst and a journalist, you signed up to be that, you know, um, it helps to know some things about the sport, but competing and, and, and understanding the sport and writing about it are two very different things, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't see the benefit of it necessarily. So some guys were mentioning, like, what if we just got the media to fight each other? And then I'm like, nah, now nah, nah, we're on to something. Like, I mean, and, <laughs> yeah. there are, and there are some guys that train that would fuck some people up. But you yeah. get people with similar, you know, weight classes with the similar kind of training. And we we could be cooking with something here. I mean, uh, you try to think of some of the dream matchups. Like you get uh, like a behemoth like Luke Thomas. And you try to think, like, who's another behemoth in MMA media? And we make some kind of crazy bare knuckle pay-per-view kind of situation going. But <laughs> I feel like that's a fun idea. There's something. Yeah. There. There's something there, I think, you know, like, I don't know anything. I don't know this, the the physical stats about uh, the Mark Ramundis or, or the o Akimoto's, you know, like we, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get these guys on the scale and see where they're at right now. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. We, you could make a, you could make a nice little uh, 10 card matchup, you know, an event there and uh, put something together, put it, you know, do it for charity or something. And I bet, I bet you could get some good numbers on that. And then you get the fighters to be the ones conducting the the media, the interviews, and stuff like that. They get it, you know. They get tired of asking the same questions. Go ask these guys the same questions. Oh, yeah, that's every a good time. point. That's a good point. There you go. Let's just flip roles for a night, you know, and uh, and uh, see how it works out. Look, at the end of the day, it'd probably be everyone had would have a little bit better understanding of the other person's job, and I think everyone would find out it's not as easy as it seems on both sides, you know. Yes, fighting is a very tough job, but so is being a journalist and an analyst and a media member, you know, in different degrees. They're different sports or sorry, they're different. They're different jobs, but, you know, they're both tough. So um, I think that would have it. Would, everyone would end up with a little bit better understanding of everyone's work for sure. I think what makes it, you know, even like a bigger deal, I think is the fact that everyone has so much access to each other. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like anyone could contact anyone at any moment. Like this really is a sport where a lot of guys aren't going through managers and agents. Like they could shoot a fighter or a text. Like a lot of media members could have hit up Cub Swanson directly about that tweet. Not sure what they would have achieved by it, except getting laughed at. But it's like, it's crazy how accessible everyone is to each other, especially when you compare NBA, NFL, all that stuff where it feels like these guys don't have that much access to each other or they're always going through someone. Yeah. That's just the nature of the sport, man. You know, it's, it, that's another way that we're unique from some of these other sports and, you know, it, it can be a good thing sometimes, but it also can be a bad thing. You know, we, we've seen that in other areas of MMA where, you know, there's just there's no barrier to entry, really. You know, there's there's no barrier to entry to be a, a manager. There's no barrier to entry to be a cornerman for a fighter. Right. You know, Perry is his girlfriend as a corner. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> people have their their 
cousin or their brother manage them who's never done any management work in their life before. You know, even, you know, you you could pick up a, uh, a microphone and a headset and, and then all of a sudden you're doing podcasting, you know. And so there there's an upside to it. But like, you know, like you said, it's easy to connect with everyone, but there's there's downsides to that, too. And that's where you kind of get some of this lack of education and misinformation in the sport as well. And sometimes it, it doesn't make us look as professional as other sports. The, the barrier to entry thing is a good point. Sometimes I do feel like any idiot could just come in and do what I do. You know what I mean? Like figure out how to contact some of these guys. And all of a sudden it's like, there you go. You're replaced by someone who maybe it turns out is better than you. Like, or like you mentioned, seeing things like Mike Perry's girlfriend is cornering him and stuff like that. Just sometimes you do feel like if somebody really wanted to, they could just show up and start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and look, you know, to some of us who's like, you know, we've put a lot of time into this sport, you know, and there's, there's, a lot of guys who put in way more time than me. I'm still young in this sport, but you know, to to watch someone like Mike Perry bring his girlfriend in, who and she's sitting in the same seat in the corner that we sit in to corner our fighters in. It's like, wow, man, that's 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 pretty crazy. You wouldn't you would never see that in the NFL. You would never see that in the NBA, the NHL, whatever it is, you know. So sometimes it makes our sport look a little worse than it is, um, you know. But man, you know, we're growing and we're learning. So you know, hopefully one day. We can kind of correct that a little bit. Well, was that something that really bothered you seeing the the girlfriend just take the corner like that? Like I, I know, uh, you know, Mike Perry sort of explained it later on. Like, you know, what? I don't like having a corner anyways. Like, I want her to just sit there and shut up and stuff like that. But I assume for someone like you, you must have had different feelings than everybody else when you saw that. Yeah, honestly, you know, like I try, I try to look at everything from both sides. You know, like maybe that's there's always someone that you kind of want in your corner with these athletes where like, it's like a comfort factor, you know, like a lot of fighters will bring two coaches and they'll bring a training partner or a friend, you know, someone that they can train with and warm up with and and someone they just enjoy being around, you know, um, I look at it from that angle, but at the same time, it's like, man, you, you didn't have, that was the only person you brought to the fight, you know? Um, and I know that she doesn't have the expertise to be coaching on that level, you know? So to us, it just looks like you're making a mockery of the sport, right? You know, the the same person, like I said, that is sitting in the same chair that we use to corner is there cornering and she has no no reason to be there, you know, uh, or no qualification to be there. She has a reason, I guess. Mike wants her there, but there's no qualifications, you know. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, it, it can be a little bit insulting to the amount of work that other people put in. Um, but at the same time, if that's what he wants is what he wants, you know, until we can change something about the sport, that's what it's going to be like. And I guess it must make it worse when you see him, uh, collecting, I think it was a random guy on Reddit that was willing to pay 5,000, right. To take another spot in the corner too. And now it's like, you know, what are are we doing at this point? Exactly, man. You know, and look, I, you know, I don't know Mike Perry, but I've watched him enough times to know, like he's, he, man, he's super talented. It's crazy. He's very good. You know, um, what he needs is a, a coach. The problem is that I don't think he would respond very well to a coach. He's also the type of guy who seems like he doesn't want structure or, or need structure or want someone watching over him. So he's in kind of a weird position. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's a, I'm glad there's not more people doing it like he's doing it. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad it's just one person. You can say, yeah, that's Mike Perry. He's doing whatever. Um, I'm glad there's not more of those. How would you as a coach handle like a Mike Perry situation? Like say he were to come in your gym and he wanted to work specifically with you. What would your kind of approach be in that situation? Because you know, like the regular approach is not going to work with a guy like that. 
yeah, you know, like, I, you know, I think if we sat down and had a meeting, I would just be very clear of, of how I operate as a coach, you know, of what I expect of my athletes. And, and it would be real easy, man, you know, either he agrees to what we're going to do and we work together or he doesn't. And it's best of luck. You know, I've had that conversation plenty of times, you know, and there's a reason why I like to sit down with athletes and, and we communicate and we talk before and we get our expectations on the table before we start working together. You know, um, like I said, man, look, I still have a lot of work to do in this sport myself. I'm young, you know, um, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be done here, you know, but I also feel like I'm at a point where, you know, I can pick who I'm working with a little bit more selectively now, right? I don't have to take every fighter that comes to me. And I've, I've had a lot of conversations where I say, look, man, I don't think this is going to be a great fit for you or for me. And I think you'll be better suited somewhere else. You know, that's, that's no hard feelings. Um, I'm just trying to avoid, uh, you know, a potential letdown or disaster down the road. You know, at the end of the day, I want what's best for all of the athletes, you know, and, and I may not be what's best for them. Um, so we have a conversation first. If, if Mike was like, Hey man, this sounds like exactly what I need, then cool. Let's get to work. If he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Then it's like, cool, man, best of luck. Um, hopefully I can help you find someone else that might fit what you need, you know, and, and there's no hard feelings to it. Well, when you have that conversation, what are some of like the red flag? Like, obviously Mike Perry tells you, I'm not going to do that. That's like the, you got the whole sign that lights yeah. up, like tell this guy to go home. But what are some things you kind of look for? And you're like, you know what, or, or, you know, a lot of stuff is based on gut feeling too, but what is it where, where you sort of start thinking, ah, you know what, maybe this isn't the right kind of situation with this person. That's a good question. Look, man, this MMA gets real tricky be, because of, uh, in pro sports, pro sports in general, but MMA in particular, as soon as money gets involved, right, when athletes start paying the coaches, it's almost like the coaches become employees of the fighter and not the other way around, right? Whereas in the NFL, if you have a head coach on a team, right, the 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 players work for the coach, right? They work for the organization, but the coach is in charge, right? It's not always the case in, in MMA. Sometimes fighters have a tendency to say, hey, look, I'm paying you you're going to listen to what I say and you're going to help me out with this. Right. And that's a big red flag for me. Right. Where, and look, I'm always open to fighters making suggestions and say, Hey, look, this works well for me. This works well for me. But for them to say, Hey, I'm paying you. Um, and I want you to do this and this for me. I'm usually like, that's cool. You can take your money somewhere else. I don't, I don't need your 5% to, to, to go through that. You know, I'm not doing a song and a dance over here for you when you want me to. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, I try to make everything as clear as possible. You know, training schedules, my expectations, you know, what I would like to see happen. You know, I usually ask my athletes, if we're going to work together, I ask for a two-fight minimum. So, you know, I've seen a lot of guys, they'll come to a new camp, they'll transition, and transitions are always tough. You get to a fight, you know, you're still kind of in the middle of a transition, and, and guys lose sometimes in the middle of transition and then they'll leave. They'll go, oh, this, does, this doesn't work for me. You know, that to me isn't fair. You know, so one of the things right off the bat, I'll say, hey, we're going to work together for two fights, right? Just to make sure you're here for enough time that I can invest in you and you can invest in me and we can see some growth, you know, because one fight's just not enough to, to make any sort of measurement off of. Um, and then outside of that, like I said, it's just basic training schedule and stuff. You know, if, if you feel like this is going to be too much work for you, you know, if you feel like this is not your cup of tea, 
that's all good, man. You know, like I'll help you find another coach, you know, it's no hard feelings and, and we can just go, go separate ways. You know, I do like, and especially if you're going to have me as your head coach, you know, some guys I'm their striking coach, some guys I'm their striking coach and their head coach. Right. And obviously the head coach position is going to be a lot more involvement. I'm going to oversee a lot more stuff. I'm probably going to ask a little bit more of you as the athlete, you know, so that, that, that position I really reserve for only a very few people that I really know I work well with and they're going to trust me. Trust is a big one. If you don't have the trust of the athlete, then on fight night, you're not sure what's going to happen. You have to make sure that athlete trusts you fully and they believe in you to go to battle with you. Um, so I, I reserve that spot for a very few amount of people that I know we can build a strong foundation of trust on. And, and ask them the, the fact that you're in Colorado too, that's got to play a role in it too, right? Cause guys, they show up and they might think they have good cardio and then all of a sudden they get less oxygen and it's like, <gasps> so it's like, yep. if you, if you really want it, like you're going to make it work here. And I feel like even, and like you mentioned with the, the, at least two fights, imagine you get caught in the first fight and then the guy like kind of blames you for it and leaves but you felt like you guys were working on, like you, there was something that was happening. Like there's some magic happening here and you're about to ruin it. Like it is definitely, but I, the fact that you're in Colorado alone, that must make some guys intimidated just with the elevation. Definitely. And you know, and we have a policy at our team. Um, when guys come to, to, to check the team out and kind of try out in the sorts, we always tell them to come out for, for two or three weeks just to check things out first. That first week, you're not going to get a lot out of training, you know, just like you said, it feels like you got a bag over your head and you're just trying to survive, you know? So the first week is kind of acclimating to the elevation, getting used to that. And then two and three, we can really start to see a little bit more about what the athlete, they're what they're actually working with and stuff like that, you know? So we, we, we always tell them, you know, come out for a couple of weeks, get adjusted, you know, take your time getting to know the team, the training schedule, the coaches, and then we can make a decision off of that. You know, sometimes we get through that three weeks and we say, hey, look, you know, we don't I don't think this is going to be the best fit for you, you know, or the athlete tells us that they say, hey, look, I'm looking for this and I didn't see it here. You know, and that that's that's totally cool, too. You know, our job is not to accept every single fighter who inquires about our team. You know, but we want we want a successful team with a big, diverse group, but the team is not for everyone. You know, and that's why there's so many great MMA teams around, you know, man, Factory X is four miles down the road from us. They're close, you know, so we see a lot of guys that start there and come to us. We've had plenty of guys who started with us and went to them, you know, um, and, and that's just the nature. Of, it's the same thing as like ATT and, and, and uh, Hard Knocks down in Florida. They're right down the road from each other. You get a lot of back and forth with those guys. That's just kind of the nature of the sport, but not one place is not going to be for everyone. You know, we want to make sure that we have the right ones there that want to be there and, and that the, the coaches and the, the other fighters want them to be there too. So th this past week you posted a photo of a uh, Corey Sandhagen wearing, I, I don't even know how to describe what, whatever you want to call <laughs> that telling us it was fashion sweetie. What, what on earth is Corey Sandhagen out here wearing? Like, is this, is this something you guys see a lot? This, this, you know, fashion choices and stuff. Like, is he trying to be an NBA player? Um, so what I really, you know, on it, so I think that picture was from Abu Dhabi, uh, when he fought Marlon. So I think that was his mask and he took his mask and pulled it down. So go. it looked like, it looked like a scarf, right? <laughs> but you know, I think it was really just the timing of the picture and the pose that he had. That was just hilarious, man. You know, like if you ever see Corey outside of fight, you know, like fight week, 
he's the most unassuming guy ever, you know? Um, and, and matter of factly, he dresses like a nerd. He's got like, he'll wear his shorts. He wears his like calf high socks. He's got like these old school vans that he wears and he usually has a hat on. And it's like, he has his, he's got his vibe around him, you know, but it's, it's nothing like pretentious or flashy or anything. So man, I think that picture was just timing and it was perfect, man. I'm going to hold on to that one for a while. Uh, when he gets the belt, uh, I'm going to, that one's going to resurface. I, I can guarantee you. I'm going to, I'm going to put that one back up once he wins the belt. It, it was perfect. Even the way he looks at the camera, he almost looks offended. Like, you don't like this bright yellow shirt with the scarf. Like what's your problem? Like everything about it was, it was excellent. It, it was perfect. Yeah. The timing was perfect. Uh, it's one of my favorite pictures. So yeah, we'll be seeing that one again in the near future for sure. So how much work do you do with Corey Sanhagen? Because I know you're surrounded by a lot of these fighters, right? Because you also have Trevor Whitman, but you don't necessarily work with everyone. What's kind of your involvement uh, with Corey Sanhagen? Yeah, so it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic at our team. And, and it's a good thing, too. You know, like there's a lot of coaches. There's a lot of athletes, you know, and, and not every coach works with every athlete. You know, there's, there's a big benefit to that, right? Because if we have eight, nine, ten coaches on our staff, right, guys get to train with all of them, pick and choose, you know, which they, which style they feel like suits them the best, you know? And the nice thing is too, they can change their, their coaches from camp to camp as well. Right. If, if Corey's facing a real grappling heavy opponent, his next fight, he may want to switch a jujitsu coach out, right. Or work with them a little bit more specifically for that fight. And, and that's totally fine. You know? Um, so you see some of these coaches or sorry, some of these teams maybe with like one, two, three coaches, one striking coach, one head coach, one jujitsu coach, and that's what you get. And you better hope that you work well with that person. You know, um, we have options at elevation, which is really great. It's been shown to, to work very well. And that's why it's sometimes tough. People always ask me about this, right? You'll see Curtis fight. Like I'm not in Curtis's corner this weekend. I'm, I'm buddies with Curtis. I've, I've cornered Curtis in the past, you know, but he'll have his coaches. Cody Donovan his, is uh, one of his head coaches. Vinny Lopez is his striking coach. And he'll have two training partners too, you know. Um, Shauna Dobson, she'll have me as her head coach. She'll have Valor uh, Caballero as her jiu-jitsu coach. And then she has Aaron Porter, who's one of our strength and conditioning coaches out here as well too. So we just have a – we have a diverse and a big staff of coaches – just so we can help these athletes as much as possible. Um, so in terms of Corey, I'm not working with Corey as much as I used to. Um, he, Christian Allen is his head coach. Um, if you haven't heard Christian's name, um, it's because he never does interviews. Um, he never talks to anyone, but he's a genius. He's, he's one of the best martial arts minds in the sport, uh, especially one of the best that no one's ever heard of. He's, he's one of the best strikers I've ever seen. He's a high-level jiu-jitsu black belt. He's a high-level judo black belt. I think he has a karate black belt, too. Um, he's he's a literal ninja. Um, and he basically gave Corey everything that he had and more. Um, and, and Corey is kind of like the living version of, of what Christian created. It's really amazing what those two have. But Christian is his head coach. And then um, Carrington Banks is his wrestling coach slash training partner. Carrington, uh, you, you saw him in the corner of Usman this past weekend as well. Um, he's one of Justin Gaethje's main training partners too. I'm really trying to get this guy into the UFC um, because he is an absolute stud. But right now he's helping these guys out quite a bit. And, and obviously he's been successful uh, helping these guys out. So Corey is just using Christian and Carrington Banks right now. Those are the two that he went with. He feels like he vibes with those guys really well and he gets what, what he needs with them. The nice thing about Christian is he's a he's a Swiss Army knife. 
right? He is a black belt and all that stuff. So he covers all the bases. You know, there's not a lot of coaches who have that level of expertise. He covers it all, um, which is really awesome. And he started training Corey from the start. Um, Corey and I started right around the same time. So we've been training together for about 12 years. Um, but Corey started under Christian Allen. Um, so Corey has been like Christian's protege over the, the last decade. And now we're really starting to see, um, you know, like that, that, uh, that all of that kind of come to fruition right now. So, um, I, man, I see Corey all the time. Um, if he needs help, I'm there to help him. Um, you know, and, and we're friends. We, we were friends first. We'll be friends after this before coaching and fighting. Um, but yeah, right now he's working with Christian Allen and, and Carrington Banks. Those are his two main coaches. Man, Corey had the the entire internet divided with that big knockout, right? Like everyone's like, you know, it's picture, it's a per- picture perfect knee, the way his opponent fell, and then everybody's like, yeah, but it's Frankie. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen. Well, it's been a long time since we've really seen like a no one's allowed to make memes, and we love Corey, but we love Frankie. Like it was crazy seeing the reaction of everyone. It's like everyone loves knockouts until it's their guy getting knocked out. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that had not. I think that knockout had Corey divided too. You saw Corey. Right after the fight, when he was getting his hand raised, you know, he was very emotional after that, you know. Um, he understood, too, you know, like, that's a legend standing across from me, you know. And I've never heard a bad word about Frankie Edgar in my life, you know. But, man, at the end of the day, if if there's the two people in the cage and one of them's Frankie, it's it's going to be you or him. And it better not be you, you know what I'm saying? So, um he, he had that mentality going into that fight and you, you just can't look at it as a legend across the cage from you. You know, we've seen that happen in the past before where people give their opponent a little bit too much respect because of the name standing across from them. Um, Corey did just such a great job of, of kind of car- compartmentalizing that of saying, you know, when I fight, it's not Frankie Edgar, it's an opponent in front of me who's trying to hurt me and I'm going to do the same thing, you know, but after the fight, of course, when it was over, you saw that emotion uh, that came from him. So yeah, you know, even me, I'm like, fuck, I love Corey, you know, and I'm super happy for him. That was the best knockout of his career. And I don't want to see that happen to Frankie Edgar either. You know, I love Frankie too. He's a legend. Um, But man, it's the fight business. We saw Frankie Edgar do an interview afterwards where he kind of explained like, you know, I didn't realize what had happened. I didn't remember anything. And and everybody was kind of like, oh, my God, like, you know, he must have done some huge damage, blah, blah. But I think people don't necessarily realize like getting knocked out, especially when you go completely out like that, like you're not going to remember. Like a lot of guys kind of explain like, you know, one minute they're fighting and next thing you know, there's like someone talking to them and they're like, you know, who are you? Like, I feel like people sort of turn that into a big story when in reality, I think it's it's more common than people realize like. When, when you go down violently like that, there's a big chance that you're going to lose a lot of that memory and stuff like that. And we've heard it before, but it really sounded like everybody kind of jumped all over it. Like, oh, my God, like Frankie, this, that. Like, I feel, I, I'd love to get your opinion on it because obviously you're a striking guy. You've seen this a lot more than I have, but it did seem like people turned it into more than what it what it really was, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like, look, at the end of the day, anytime you get knocked out, right, your your, your brain is moving violently in your head you know, and your brain is your memory processor and in your hard drive, you know, and if that thing gets, you drop your, your hard drive on the floor, you're going to have some problems for a little bit, right? You're going to shake some things up. So um, yeah, man, I've seen it happen. Unfortunately, I've had a couple of my athletes in the past where that's happened, you know, they've been knocked out. We take them to the back room and, and then all of a sudden they think they're, they're warming up for their fight still, you know, they're asking when the fight is and it's, man, it's brutal. It's very hard. It's very hard to see that, you know, um, but it's, it's part of the sport. Now look like 
in Corey's in particular, that wasn't just like a punch, you know, that is a knee. Right. And, and on top of that, it's, it's Frankie Edgar moving into a knee that Corey's jumping into. So it's the car crash effect. And those are the most violent type of knockouts is where they're moving at each other and one person gets the worst of it, you know? Um, so for the way the knockout was, I'm, I'm not surprised at that result at all. You know, it still doesn't make it any easier to hear what, what Frankie said in that interview with Brett, but I'm not surprised about that, man. That was a flying knee to your head as you're moving in. You're going to have some problems for a little bit after that, for sure. What, what are you telling your athlete in that situation? They're in the back. They think they're warming up. Like they were just out there fighting. Like as a coach, like that's a delicate situation, right? Like a lot of people always joke about, you know, you got knocked the fuck out, but as a coach, you can't say shit like that. You got to be real delicate. Like, do you have sort of a strategy or is it kind of, you know, in that moment, how you need to respond to your athlete? Yeah, I think it depends on the athlete, you know, but it's, it's tough, man, because look, one, you have to tell them, you know, you have to get them to calm down. But two, if they don't know that they fought yet, they also don't know that they lost, right? Yeah. So that's the other part of it where you, you have to say, look, man, like the fight happened already and you also got knocked out. You lost, right? You lost the fight. Um, and, and that is when kind of like the second shoe drops and, and they're like, oh, man, you know, like I've seen people get really sad. I've seen people get really angry. Um, it's tough, man. You know, it's a very like emotionally unstable moment. Um, and our job as coaches really is just to kind of be there for them in the moment. You know, there's nothing else we can really do about it. You know, we have to be there for them as best as we can. We have to make sure physically they're okay. Um, but that's something that they just have to go through, right? When it happens is you have to let them know what happened and you have to be there with them, um, through that process. So it's, it's tough, man. And, and, you know, I hope I don't have to go through that many more times, you know, um, because I'll never be. I, I don't want to get used to having that conversation. I'll put it that way. You know what I'm saying? If I get used to having that conversation, I'm doing something wrong. My job, you know, um, and I, I don't want to have to do that. So I'm I'm hoping I don't have to have too many of those. Speaking of which, as a head coach, do you ever have to kind of sit down with your athlete and talk about like how to handle a loss? Like you see a lot of guys are undefeated and they some of them handle it well. Like two two extreme examples, right? You have Ronda Rousey who lost. And then I think that was probably the worst way you could handle it. And then you have Dominic Cruz that showed up at the press conference and, you know, and he's just, you know, being really honest and everybody liked him more. Do you ever kind of sit guys down and it's like, listen, here's maybe the best way to handle yourself after that situation? Or is it just something, you know, it just kind of happens? Yeah, 100 percent, man. And, you know, that's I think that's part of being a professional athlete is being able to handle the losses as well as the wins, you know, but also something just my coaching philosophy. That's what I expect from the athletes that I work with is that we're going to handle that well. You know, we understand that losing is a part of this sport and it happens every fight. One person's going to lose. Right. And we have to learn how to deal with those and accept those and, and learn from them and, and move on, you know, and and some losses are obviously tougher than others. Right. I, I tell my guys a lot of times. Right. There's a difference between losing and getting beat. Right. You can lose a close fight that the judges screwed up the scoring on and there's nothing you can do about that. It sucks. You know, there's also getting beat where. Mallory got submitted by Pollyanna last week, you know, and, and there's no two ways around that. You know, that's that that wasn't like a close fight or, or a bad scorecard by the judges. You went out there and you got beat, you know, and you have to, and, and both of those losses, you know, the emotions are a little bit different from those, you know, um, from those results. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, it's your job as a professional athlete to understand that that is part of competing. And our job now is to learn from the loss 
and to go out there and get it back the next time. You know, hopefully we can use that for fuel. But, you know, personally as a coach, you know, I don't like when athletes make excuses about losses. I don't like them going out and talking trash to their opponents or whatever it is. You know, if you can find one excuse about a loss, you're going to find a thousand more, you know, and at the end of the day, the loss falls on you, you know, um, and really it falls on the coaches. I, at least I believe that. Right. But the athlete also has to accept responsibility. Um, and, and, and until you can accept responsibility for your performance, um, we're not going to be able to grow from it, you know? So that, that's a big part of it for me. You know, look, man, one, one person that I think handles them really well, that's a great example is Conor McGregor, you know, yeah. for all the pressure that is on him for all historically the trash talking he's done in the past, man, anytime he loses, you know, he handles it with a lot of grace. Um, and, and that's something that's, that's super important. And, and, you know, something that you can point at with, with my athletes to say, Hey, look, this guy's at the top of the sport. And, and this is how he's dealing with it. So if he's dealing it with it like that, you should be able to handle this at this level too. For sure. I agree a lot with that. Uh, you're, you're currently, so you're in this hotel room, you're quarantining, you have fight week. Did you even unpack your suitcase when you went home? Like you must've literally went home like, Oh, there's my house. And then you're like right back at it. Like you must not have had time for anything. I didn't go home. Oh, so, didn't go. Yeah. So there you well, go. Even yeah, easier. UFC also has a hotel right next door to this one, right? Because these trips are Tuesday to Sunday. Right. So I would have I would have landed Sunday afternoon. I would have been home Monday, and I would have had to get back on a plane again. So <laughs> silly. Yeah. they just put me in the hotel next door for two days, um, and then I came back over here. So I've been yeah I've been living out of a hotel for ten days already. You know, it's just easier. It was tough because it was Valentine's Day. Oh, Sunday yeah, yeah. was Valentine's Day, right? So I have my girlfriend. Um, you know, this is the second year in a row that I missed Valentine's Day. Last year I was leaving for New Zealand for um, the Auckland card down there in February on Valentine's day. So I missed it then too. Um, you know, but I'm going to make it up to her when I get back. And this is just part of the job. You know, any, any coach will tell you, and especially guys who travel way more than I do, you know, um, that th this is just part of the job, you know, and, and our significant others, um, understand that and they support that, you know, as much as it's tough in the moment, um, they support us, uh, doing this you know so i definitely appreciate that shout out to my girlfriend abby for putting up with me with all this travel um but yeah part of the job so this wasn't a strategic move to avoid buying the flowers and the chocolates like oh baby, you know, we'll just catch it next year and the next year yeah. in the five book like nah it just just so happens twice in a row <laughs> that's one way to look at it you know i can't say that publicly on air but i like where your head's at saving money while i'm doing it you know <laughs> exactly so what does ufc tell you in this situation like are they communicating with you like hey man we're gonna put you in this hotel or do you have to go through someone like so i mean someone must be guiding you to this whole situation it's, it's it's my fighters managers they take care of it right so matt mallory has uh she works with danny rubenstein at ruby sports shauna dobson works with oren hodak at uh ko sports reps so um anytime you know this actually happened last august too they fought back-to-back -back weeks last year um same thing. So they, they both take care of my flights. They take care of the hotel and they talk to the UFC for me. So all I have to do is show up. It makes it super easy. Um, I really appreciate uh, both of those guys. You know, they go above and beyond to help us out and make it as easy as possible. You know, there's a lot of roles in here, you know, and, and sometimes you'll see an athlete try to take on too much where an athlete doesn't want to pay a manager. So they're going to be the athlete, but they're also going to be the management. Right. Or they they make their coach do it. And then the coach is the coach and the manager. You know, when I really I believe my coaching philosophy that, you know, 
have someone for all of those roles and let that person focus on it. Let the coach focus on being the coach. Let the athlete focus on being an athlete. Let the manager handle everything else. You know, in my experience, it tends to work best that way. And, you know, so Mallory and Shauna both have great managers and it makes my, my job super, super easy. You know, they send me an email. Here's your reservation. I go check in over there and I come back over here. It's all, it's all good. So you do have Shauna fighting. Well, I don't feel like I saw her do a lot of media. Did she have a lot of media leading up to this fight? Because I feel like coming off what happened last time around, like everyone would have been jumping on. Like, let's go ahead and get this, this get this story out there. She had a couple of podcasts here and there. You know, she's got some uh, media tomorrow with UFC. Uh, I think they're going to hype it up a little bit. You know, they put up a, a Instagram post about her today, you know. But, um, yeah, man, you know, you know, it's funny. She's actually the underdog for this fight again, too. So, um, against Casey, who hasn't even fought in the UFC yet. You know, I know she's talented. She's undefeated. But, um, look, you know, at the end of the day, um, fighting in the UFC is a different beast, you know. And you can say whatever you want about it. You can practice as much as you want. But the second that they call your name, and you have to walk out those doors at the apex or wherever we're fighting. It's a different animal, you know, every single time. And you get in that cage and Bruce Buffer's in there. You're like, whoa, this is this is different, you know. Um, and and Shauna, <laughs> Shauna has grown up in the UFC from Ultimate Fighter to, to fighting everyone else. You know, she's lived in the UFC. So, um, yeah, man, you know, she's the underdog again. It's right where we want to be. We love being in that position and we've seen what happened before. So, uh, you know, I'm we're not going to be surprised on Saturday. I'll put it that way. That, that's got to be a little bit annoying too. Like everywhere you go, it's like underdog this, underdog. Like last time you were the biggest underdog in history. It's like, I, I appreciate you guys talking about me and stuff, but I don't know if that's necessarily something you want people like singing your your praises about how you were this huge underdog and now they're putting you as an underdog again. Like I feel like at some point it's got to start being a little bit annoying. Yeah, you know, We've had that talk before because, you know, what I think it just comes down to is a perspective thing, right? Like you can say, hey, look, you know, someone needs to put some respect on my name for what I've done. Or you could say, cool, let them keep sleeping on us, let them underestimate us, and we're just going to keep proving them wrong, you know? And that's kind of the mentality that Sean is in. You know, early on, you know, that first fight with uh, Agapova last time, she was like, man, like these odds are crazy. Like no one really believes in me. And, and we really had to do a lot of mental work to say, look, like you've been here you've earned this spot here. You've been here longer than she has, you know, and, and just trust in yourself. And she did that last time, you know, and now she has that confidence. Like, man, I do belong here. You know, um, I'm with a great team now. I, I know what to do in this fight, you know, and, and I don't care what the odds say anymore. Like I know what I'm capable of doing and I'm going to go out and do it when I fight. So, um, to her now, the odds are just a, just a number on the side you know, uh, and really it's, it's a way for her friends and family to make some more money on her. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing, um, because she changed her perspective on it. That last fight was a great example of, you know, how fans, how quickly they turn on fighters, right? Like what was her opponent's name? Maria Agapova, I believe like yep. she, she had all this hype heading into that fight. Everybody was talking about, look, she, everything she did, right. She's awesome. And then after the fight, like, I don't think I've ever seen someone turn on a fighter so quick. She was doing this little dance for the fight. Everybody's clowning her about that. Like, everybody's talking about this. It was like, man, you know, she did the same shit the fight before, and you guys loved her for it. Like, it's just crazy how, you know, people say, you know, keep that same energy. They don't keep that. And it's it's awesome for, for Shauna. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you know that as soon as you lose, like, the, the way people drop fighters like that, it's just, it must be pretty, pretty scary as an athlete to see stuff like that. It's crazy, man. Like it, it's so true that you're only as good as your last fight in, you know, in terms of uh, what the fans think, you know, and, and, it, you know, the big thing is this, if, if you care what the fans think, 
then it's going to really affect you. You know, if you don't care what the fans think, and that doesn't mean you don't appreciate the fans, it's different, right? But the, you know, the fans don't know the ins and outs of the fight game, right? Mallory just lost, you know, she told me after the fight, she's like, man, people are pouring it on me on Instagram. I was like, man, I don't care. You know, the booze always come from the cheap seats. You know what I'm saying? Those people won't step into the cage and do what you just did, right? So you you pay no attention to them. You block, delete, repeat. Just keep rinsing, rinsing and repeating with that. You know what I'm saying? Like their opinion doesn't mean anything, you know? Appreciate the fans that stick with you and just keep proving them wrong next time. But, man, if any of these guys let those opinions get to them too much, it can be a problem, you know? So appreciate the fans, the good ones at least, right, and the ones that have shit to talk. And like you said, man, I, I, I've seen the screenshots of of some guy worshiping one guy, just like you said, one fight, the next fight he loses, it's the same guy trashing him. It's just how fans, some fans are, you know, they're, they're, they're super, they're fickle and, and I don't know what, it, I don't know what it is exactly, but um, you just can't pay too much attention to those people. And that's the accessibility thing, right? Like the fact that people feel like they can reach out to a fighter like that and they're going to read the message. Like, I'm sure if I sent LeBron James a hateful DM, like he's never going to see that. But I could send something to like Mallory, for example, and there's a, a much higher chance that she's going to see it. And it's like a lot of guys that get so big, they can't see it. But fighters, like they see so much of it when in reality, it's like, that's not good for anybody. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. Like if you got a bunch of people telling you you suck, even though... You may think that I kick all of their asses. There's a part of you that's like, you know, I'm not trying to hear that I suck after yeah. after everything. Yeah, man. Like, especially in when you're in kind of like an emotional state after taking a loss, you know, yeah. where you're already you're you're doubting yourself. You know, every fighter goes through that when they lose. They're like, man, am I good enough to be here? Uh, you know, like, do I belong in the UFC? That that narrative happens every time a fighter loses, and then for a thousand other people to pile it onto them after even if they don't know them or it doesn't, you know, they're, they're keyboard warriors, it still has an effect, you know? Um, so fighters just have to be very careful with their social media after fights and man, it works the other way too. After wins, everyone's going to sit there and gas them up and say, Oh, you're the greatest, this and that. And that can go to your head the wrong way too. If you're not careful, right. You can get overconfident in yourself. You can start believing in that hype, right? You may start training less. You may start feeling yourself and, and man, that's going to come back to bite you in this sport too. So you really have to take what the fans say with a grain of salt. Like I said, positive or negative, you know, it's their opinion doesn't matter. Their support matters. Their opinion doesn't necessarily matter. It, it kind of reminds me of Tyron Woodley a little bit, right? Where we saw him beat Darren Till and all of a sudden, you know, he's the next GSP. He's, you know, he's actually the greatest fighter that we've ever seen. And, you know, we weren't giving him his respect and stuff like that. Like everybody was like, Tyron, Tyron loses one fight to Kamaru and then all of a sudden it's like oh we knew Tyron this and that it's like wait a minute and now Kamaru's on that same train too where everybody's talking about him and GSP so it's just crazy how you know everybody goes through that kind of cycle watch when Hamzat loses you know oh yeah he'll lose you know yeah. he'll lose and and watch when that happens you know the same people that were hyping him up from his first couple fights are going to be the same ones jumping off the bandwagon so yeah it's it's the nature of the sport well, that's the thing too, right? Like you see a lot of the fighters that become stars and stuff like that. They have like a sense of, of uh, like you can't, they're unbeatable, right? Like uh, John Jones, obviously he has the, you know, uh, Matt Hamill throwing his head into his elbows, all, all those jokes with that one. But, you know, Conor McGregor lost in Cage Warriors, but we everybody forgot that when he got to the UFC and then he loses to Nate and then things got different. Like you feel like for a lot of these guys, until you lose, you create sort of this, this uh, aura 
And then the second you lose, like that's where everything changes. And I think we're going to see something like that for someone like Hamza, where right now he's the greatest of all time. Like uh, I, I put that, it's not crazy to think that Kamaru could eventually catch GSP someday. And everyone's like, well, he won't because Hamza fights him next. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no, not, I mean, yeah. maybe eventually, but not right now. Like, you know, he's coming off of a middleweight fight against uh, Mearshart. Like, you know, all credits of Mearshart is a good fighter and everything. But it's like you can't just give him a title shot coming off of that. Like, it's it's crazy the way people people hype up, especially the undefeated guys. Hundred percent, man. And look, like losing losing is very important. We talked about it earlier. You have to know how to lose. Like, there's a reason that you know some of my amateur guys, my higher level amateur guys, I want to give them really hard fights before they turn pro right? Because you have to learn how to lose. You know, the last thing you want is a, a kid who's 5-0 and as an amateur, and then he goes 5-0 and as a pro, you know, and you haven't felt a loss yet, man, a, a loss can really change you. It'll really shatter you. I remember the first time Corey lost in his pro career against Jamal Emers, and that was, that was in RFA or LFA back in the day. And that really affected Corey, man. You know, it, that... I don't think he fought for like eight months or something after that fight. You know, like it really changed his psyche. Um, losses can really affect people, especially after they've gone on a long run of winning. Like you have to know what a loss feels like and you have to experience that before you get to a high level. You get to a high level and you haven't lost it, man, it's almost too late and that can really change your career. You know, Habib Habib got away with it, you know, and, and hopefully he doesn't come back. You know, <laughs> he might, but I don't know. Um but he's one of the few that got away with it, you know, and I'm sure he's lost maybe in the past as an amateur or whatever, you know, he's experienced loss before for sure. But um, man, it, it's important to know what that feels like before you get to a super high level in competition. Or right, it's a good point about the amateur fights. Like I was talking to a prospect months ago and his amateur record, it, it was ugly. I mean, it was just distractingly ugly. It was like eight and 10 or something, but he was like 12 and oh, as a pro or something. So it's like, hold on. Like, how did you make, you know, how did you go from an amateur like this to a pro? And a lot of guys have said, you know, that actually helped me as a pro realize how I need to do things or how to avoid losses and stuff like that. Like it's, it, it, you know, the amateur fights are super important for a lot of these guys. Like you mentioned losing, like you saw Ronda lose for the first time in front of the world and she wasn't able to handle it while some guys like, or what was it? Dominic Cruz lost a part of life, loss happens, yeah. stuff like that. And, and that's how some guys take it when, when, you know, they know that it happens. Exactly, man. You know, um, and, and the guy with, you know, an eight and 10 record to me, you know, if I see an amateur with that, that I don't see a losing record. I see 18 fights of experience. You know, the experience as an amateur is what matters. It's not the record because the record goes away, you know, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's, it's weird, man. The U.S. And, and one or two other countries, it's one of the only few places in the world where, you know, there's amateur fights and then pro fights and you can't go back and forth you know a lot of other places especially in muay thai a lot of other places in the world amateur and pro describe the type of fight not the fighter right so so athletes can go back and forth they can fight amateur one weekend with pads on right and not get paid and they can fight pro the next weekend and that allows them just to get as much experience as possible you know um, it's, it's a really cool concept and it's something we haven't quite adopted here yet it might not be a while till we do but there's a reason all these other fighters overseas have so many more fights than some of our American fighters is because they can get more experience. You know, it, there's, it's, it shouldn't be okay. You're an amateur and then you turn pro and you can't go back, you know, like, and it's not like 
if you go back, if you fight an amateur fight, you're not fighting a guy who's fighting Owen. He's Owen O next. You know, you'll fight someone more experienced, but uh, that's it's almost a separate discussion. But like I said, the amateur part of it. Anytime I see amateur fights, all I see is experience. Eight and ten means eighteen fights of experience, and in those eighteen fights, yeah, man, that guy learned how to lose. That guy probably learned how to pace himself in fights. That guy probably learned how to work out of bad situations. That guy learned how to capitalize when his opponent is hurt. All of these experiences you take to now when you turn pro, you have all that experience under your belt, you know, and you've navigated those waters before. That's, that's, it's, yeah, it's a great way to go, man. It's absolutely. Uh, before we wrap things up, I know people like to know the behind the scenes stuff. What, what does fight week kind of look like as you guys go along for both you and Shauna? Yeah, man, it's, uh, <laughs> these fight weeks are, are, are interesting. It's like, there's a lot of downtime, you know, we train once, maybe twice a day, but as the week gets progresses, the trainings get shorter and shorter so the athletes can get rest, you know? Um, and, and, you know, so it's like, it's weird. It's like a lot of sitting, a lot of waiting for the most 15 min intense minutes on Saturday, you know? And it's crazy that the fight is the shortest thing that we do all, all week, right? It's, it's, it's 15 minutes and then it's done. Um, but it's also by far the most intense thing that we do. So it's, it's, it's a crazy week. Like, yeah, it's what's today is today, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah. I've lost track of time and space being in this hotel, but you know, like the fight is looming a little bit. It's, it's on Saturday, but it's still a little bit of ways away, you know, like even on like Thursday, it's like we focus, you know, we're starting to cut weight on Thursday. Like we're not focused on the fight just yet, you know, Friday morning weigh-ins get done. And then it's like, okay, now the fight is here. So um yeah man it's it's a lot of waiting you know like tomorrow um we have we we have to wait to get cleared uh make sure our covid tests come back negative we're gonna go to the ufc will take us over to whole foods so we can get some groceries for the week um shauna has some media in the afternoon and then we're gonna train at the performance institute and then that's it you know we'll be done thursday's an even lighter day we're gonna train at the pi in the afternoon that's really about all we have on thursday you know and then thursday night we'll start the weight cut Friday morning, we'll weigh in. You know, we have all of Friday to refuel and rehydrate. Saturday morning, we'll do a shakeout. And then and then we're at fight night, you know, and it and everything comes down to 15 minutes. The last 10 weeks come down to 15 minutes or less. And uh, it's crazy, man. It's like I said, there's no other sport that compares to this, you know, just the amount of time that you're in the cage. Even if you fight three times a year and all three fights go the distance, that's 45 minutes of of experience you know whereas you look at a basketball game what is it what's is it four quarters 15 minutes is it an hour that uh, they four, four quarters 12 minutes i believe so four minutes. minutes yeah okay right so there there you go in one in one basketball game they play longer than you would if you fought three times a year you know so it's it's just crazy man it's it's a crazy sport and uh but at the same time there's nothing else i'd rather be doing you know and i know there's nothing else that these fighters would rather be doing and there we go. That's a, that's a great way to end things. There's so much good stuff there. You know, I feel like with coaches, like you learn so much, like it's like you guys see things from a different eye. So it brings a lot of good perspective. Uh, listen to end these things though. I always like to leave the floor to the guests because you guys have social media. I'm sure sponsors, fighters, all that stuff. I'm sure you'd like to shout out. And I know you're very active on social media. So if you have anything you'd like to plug, now would be the time. Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, nothing in particular, just a shout out to uh, all the coaches on elevation fight team and all the athletes who make it, you know, a special place to train. 
um, such a great group, you know, wins, losses, whatever it is, you know, we're working through all that stuff together. So uh, I'm, I'm honored to be a small part in that, you know, and uh, everyone who follows me on social media and tunes into to what I have to say, appreciate you guys following along and uh, I'll do my best to uh, keep you guys informed and entertained. So, and thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming on. This was so great. And thank you everyone for listening and uh, hopefully we'll be back soon. Thank you guys.